Thank you once again uh, to our musical team. We appreciate your leading us this morning as well. Shall we pray before we open God's word? Our Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that you've given us your word. We thank you that creation speaks of your majesty and greatness and glory. And yet we think how much more we need to read through the scriptures to see and understand the greatness of our God, the glories and the love that is shown to us. We're reminded again and again that we are sinners in need of a saviour and that when we come to Christ, we become children of the living God, that you have changed us, that we become new creations and we're to put off the old and put on the new. And as we open your word, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would minister to hearts. And for any that have not come yet to place their faith in the Lord Jesus, that today they might see that great love and might turn to trust in him. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before May of last year, I think that probably most of us here had never heard of the Black Lives Matter movement. But when in last May, an African-American man, George Floyd, was arrested and pinned down to the ground and suffocated by a white policeman, what followed became national protests, often accompanied by rioting, looting, arson, anarchy, but actually worldwide protests that are continuing even to this day. And the truth is, whether we hold to what that movement stands for or not, black lives really do matter. In fact, so do white lives, pink lives, brown lives, whatever color skin we might have. In fact, we can go beyond that and say, the lives of the elderly and the frail ought to matter. The lives of the severely disabled ought to matter to us. The lives of some 40 to 50 million unborn babies who, have been, who are aborted every single year ought to matter to us. Because all lives matter to God. Man was made in the image of God and because we are made in his image, God gives sanctity to human life. This morning as we continue in our studies looking at highlights from the book of the Psalms, we come to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a beautiful psalm that teaches us that we matter to the God who knows each one of us personally, the God who is not simply reigning in the heavens as a distant king of heaven, enthroned by angels, but rather he desires to be personal, to have an intimate relationship with each one of us in one of the deepest of levels. So please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. The ancient heading to this psalm, uh, that actually in the Hebrew Bible is given as verse 1, is that this psalm, this song, is labelled for the chief musician, a psalm of David. 
Now, we're not given any further details or background to help us to understand what stirred up David's heart here to write this heartwarming song, but it is a song that is filled with thanksgiving, with devotion to God as, as God dwells upon the God who knows us and cares for us. So please follow in your Bibles or on the screen as I read verses 1 through to 18 from Psalm 139. A Psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me before, behind rather, and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall upon me, even the night shall be light about me, Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed me, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in the book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I could count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. The psalmist here is amazed at how interested God is in him. As the psalmist had written earlier on in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, that you'd set your mind upon him, that you'd care for him? Why would such a glorious God who, who, who created the heavens all around us, why would he care for such frail and weak and sinful and seemingly insignificant people as we are? And yet he does. And so now as David writes Psalm 139, he perceives, he understands that God is indeed deeply interested in everything 
about us. Even in the very first verse, as David writes, he speaks of the name of God when he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. And he chooses the very name for God, seen in our English Bibles, all in capitals, the word Lord. Speaking of Yahweh or Jehovah, the personal name of God, the faithful name of God, the covenant-keeping name of God, the unchanging name of God. And David speaks of this God who is personally covenanting and caring for us. And that this is not a, a love that comes from a distance, but a love that is close to us. And he says, O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. This idea of this searching is to examine us with great care. It is, for instance, used of searching carefully for a treasure in order to find it. And with great care, the psalmist is saying that the Lord looks into our lives, not to condemn us, not to find what is wrong with us, but to know us. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. He has an intimate awareness of us. And this doesn't cause David to fear as he writes this psalm, but rather it causes him to have great comfort and great delight. I think David, as he wrote in Psalm 103 verse 14, he knows that God knows all about him and yet accepts him by faith. Psalm 103 verse 14 says, For he knows our frame. God knows everything about us. He remembers that we are dust. God knows our frailty. He knows our weakness. He knows it better than we do. And yet for the one who seeks to walk with him, for the one who comes understanding the grace that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father sees us in the righteousness of his Son. Yes, he sees us as frail, but forgiven, covered by his mercy and grace. And so David, as he writes this psalm, he writes to speak of the great comfort that he has in the God who is, in the God who, by very nature, by very character, is the God who cares for us. And as David is meditating on this God, thinking of God's character, first of all, he finds comfort in the omniscience of God. Now, don't let this word omniscience scare you. It's a big word, yes, but simply it means that God is all-knowing. He knows everything perfectly. You break the word down, the word omni is all, and the word science speaks about knowledge. So God knows everything perfectly, and everything about you and about me perfectly, and he still loves us. The psalmist explains first, that this God who knows everything is interested and knows my ways. Verse 2, you know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. As you read through those two verses, notice the verbs that God knows, that God understands that God comprehends, 
that God is acquainted with all of our ways. From the first struggling effort of a toddler to walk to the faltering steps of the aged, God knows every step that we take. In fact, you can apply that spiritually from the beginning steps of a brand new believer until the faltering steps of someone that is frail, but they've lived for the Lord. God knows every step of the way. He is aware when I sit down, the psalmist says, and when I rise up. He knows my innermost thoughts. He knows where I go, my pathways. He knows when I sleep or when I struggle with sleep. In fact, God is acquainted with all my ways. The original language, which is Hebrew, with verse 2, it's not translated in our English text, but where it says, you know my sitting down and my rising up, it is emphatic in the original language, you yourself know all of these things. When no one else knows about me, know when no one else what I'm going through, you yourself know that you know these things. When no one understands my struggles, when no one understands my fears, when no one understands my delights or my doubts, God does and he deeply cares for you and me. And it shouldn't cause us to fear, it should cause us to trust and rest in this God who knows us and cares for us. The omniscient God knows all my ways. But the psalmist goes on in verse 4 to say, this omniscient God also knows all of my words. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. The Lord knows every word that I speak. For some of us, that's a lot more words than for other people. Did you know it's suggested that in a lifetime, we speak enough words that if all of the words that we spoke were recorded, it would fill the books, all of the books in an average university library. There are a lot of words there. Of course, we forget most of them, but God knows every single one of our words. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You know it completely. He's aware of every prayer that I make. He's aware of every praise that I make, whether it's hidden behind a mask or whether it's sung with all of the gusto that we can. He knows when we struggle to praise. He knows every single word. And it ought to drive us to, to say the words of the psalmist in Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Because he knows our words. And this Lord who knows, this God who knows all of our ways and cares for us, who knows all of our words and cares for us, he also knows all of our wanderings and cares for us. Verses 5 and 6. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. He knows our wanderings. This word that is uh, given to us, he has hedged. 
is used often as an army besieging or surrounding a city. You have hedged me behind and before. And David is saying, wherever I went, whatever I faced, God surrounded me with his protection and with his mercy and with his guidance and his care. He has set up boundaries behind me. He has laid his hand of guidance upon me. Every step of the way he's cared for me. At times when I've gone astray, he's convicted me by his Holy Spirit when I've made wrong choices to bring me back to himself. He has set up those boundaries before and behind me so that I cannot stray too far. And David says, like we should, I'm amazed. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot fathom such knowledge. It's beyond me. I am so amazed at what God does. It is high. I cannot attain to it. David takes comfort in the omniscience of God. David also, as he continues to ponder on the character of God, takes great comfort on the omnipresence of God. That's another uh, big word, but you can break it down. Omni, all, and the word present. God is always present. The psalmist writes, verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me, indeed the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. As David thinks about how God has promised to be everywhere present with us, he begins to think about different situations or settings that might come our way. In verse 7, he says, Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? It's not that he's wanting to flee from God, but he says no one ever could distance himself or herself from God. And then he thinks of places where he could possibly go. Of course, in verse 8, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. Well, that's obvious because that's the throne room of God. But what about the uncertainty of facing death? He goes on to say that death cannot separate us from God. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Now we need to understand that this word translated hell, Sheol in the Hebrew, is not meaning particularly the place of eternal punishment. The word Sheol that is translated hell here is actually speaking about the realm of the dead in general. Sheol is death itself and for the Christian death does not separate us from God in fact it's welcoming us into a new presence and a new glory that we have never experienced before death does not separate me from God 
Neither will distance separate me from God. The psalmist goes on in verse 9. If, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The picture here when he says, if I take the wings of the morning, that is the wings of dawn, and the picture is of the sun that is rising up on the horizon, and it rises so quickly up and goes across the heavens and disappears into the distance, racing across the sky. And he says, if I could have those, the wings of that morning, of the dawn, and, and it picked me up and took me to, across the western sea, the Mediterranean, the great sea, far from the land of God and the people of God, far from the tabernacle of God, yet even there God's hand would still lead me. His right hand, a reference to the strength of his hand. It shall hold me firmly. Distance cannot separate me from God. You know, sometimes we feel that we're distant from God, just emotionally, spiritually. Sometimes we go through those times, but God has not abandoned you, and God is still there. In fact, we move from realizing that distance will not separate us from God, neither will darkness separate us from God. Verses 11 through 12. The psalmist says, If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, then even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. And in this imagery, David shares that the darkness falls upon him. And whether that's initially speaking of physical darkness there, I think that when we apply it to our lives, there are times where we feel emotionally that there is either spiritual darkness or emotional darkness that falls upon us. And whether that darkness is the darkness of depression or, or, or feeling overwhelmed at what we're going through. David says, even in the blackest of nights, that darkness of that night is light before God. He is still ever present there when we feel that he isn't there. He still cares. He still sees. Darkness hides nothing from the eyes of God or from the hand of his unending care. We may feel that it's hopeless, but it is never hopeless when God is there. And so David is comforted by the omnipresence of God. But David's not finished here. He continues to ponder on the character of God, the God who knows us. And he finds even more comfort, comfort this time in the omnipotence of God, that God is the all-powerful creator. Now, when we think of God as the all-powerful creator, all too often we, we tend to think about the looking up at the stars and seeing the billions of stars that are up in the sky and saying, what an awesome, awesome God we have who can speak. And it's like he litters the, 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 the universe with stars to give us light. And they're all there for God's glory. But equally powerful, if you look deep within, instead of looking through a massive telescope, looking into a microscope, we find the creative 
power of God in a personal way. And that's what David does here. He looks at what God is doing and he says, Lord God, you created me carefully. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they, are, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. What a beautiful description here of the all-powerful God who creates within the womb of a mother the miracle of life, the miracle of a baby. When we read in verse 13, for you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. The word covered is literally that you weaved me, or as Ben put it, you knitted me. You have shaped me. You have put me together very carefully. You ordained how I would look in every detail. And as David thinks about this, he says there in verse 14, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Sometimes we don't like the way that we look and we need to be careful about that because God made us the way he chose to I don't like my nose I don't like my hair or losing of hair I don't like do you think God was not in control of all of those things that he made a mistake with you no God made you carefully David refocuses on the life being formed in the womb when in verse 15 he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. This word frame is a word that is often translated bones. Secretly, skillfully, unseen by us, poetically described taking place here as being in the lowest parts of the earth. That is a poetic expression to, to say there, remote from all human eyes, there God was taking and shaping human tissues and turning them into cartilage and cartilage into bones to make up the skeletal framework. God was fully aware and was involved in how he created me. And in verse 16 we see your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. This word substance is a word that means that which is rolled up into a ball. A description of a tiny fetus which is developing, seen and known by God. He goes on to say in verse 16, And in your books they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. In God's eternal wisdom and in his power, he shaped us and he even set down the number of days that we would live. Before I ever had my very first breath, before I'd lived them, he created us so carefully and so powerfully and he wants you to know that you can trust him as the God who has done this. 
But also, not only did God create us carefully, he considers us constantly. That blows my mind. You see, how many billion people are in this world and he is aware of each one of us? Verses 17 and 18. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. David says, how precious, literally how weighty, how overwhelming are your thoughts and your care that is towards me. In fact, in verse 19, he goes on to say, if I could count your caring thoughts towards me, Lord, they would be more than all of the grains of sand on every beach and every ocean floor and every desert in the world. And each day, they're the same. Every time I wake up, you're there and you're with me. What a great God, what a caring God we have who knows all about us and cares for us and loves us. But then we come to verse 19. And in verse 19, David continues to dwell on the character of God. But here he seems to be confronted by the holiness and purity of God. A holiness that is abhorrent towards sin. Because when we read verse 19, it seems to have a sudden change that somehow doesn't feel like it should fit here, but it is there. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. You see how the psalm seems to be taking an unexpected turn here. And that surprises most readers. And when we read the psalm, we like to skip that section. But I think the flow of David's thoughts here are that the God who knows all things and the God who sees all things and the God who hears all things, the God who is everywhere present, the God who sees the way of man, the God who creates all, man, all of mankind to bring him glory, this God who shapes every human being within his mother's womb, how can he stand to see the works of the wicked, to hear them curse him and deny him? How can a holy God not do anything about it? So we hear David's denunciation of the wicked here in verses 19 and 20. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. I've, I've received a glimpse of your holiness. How can you put up with the wicked? Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you, God, wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. How dare wicked men, men made in the image of God to glorify him? How dare they ignore him? How dare they reject him? How dare they curse him? How dare they despise him? 
How dare they despise God's holy laws and holy ways. Surely God sees them too and is grieved and is angry with righteous holy anger. David wants nothing to do with such men and he calls God to deal with them in judgment. And when David says in verses 21 and 22, Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. This is not a hatred with animosity. This is not a hatred that seeks revenge. But it's a detesting of their evil. It is an indignation at their wickedness. It is being disgusted at how they dare to stand against a holy God and how they enhance the work of the evil one. David is deeply grieved at their ways. And we ought to be grieved too. We ought to be grieved when we see wicked men prosper. We ought to be grieved as they set up laws that despise God and and reject truth and promote evil. There is a sense of indignation indignation and a hatred of what, what, what evil man does. He has a glimpse of the holiness of God. We have such a poor image of God. We we even at the best of times, only get a tiny, tiny glimpse at the holiness of God. But then David takes his eyes off of the wicked and looks deep within his own heart and speaks of his own desire to be cleansed of wickedness. You see, all of us, even when we're saved, there are times that wickedness lingers within ourselves. We rebel against God at times. And so David prays, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David's closing prayer to this God who knows everything about him, this God who created him in his mother's womb, this God who knows the very beginning to the end, this God who has protected him, this God who knows everything about him. He says, oh God, search me and know my heart. Look deep within me and know every thought, every anxiety I have, every fear, every doubt, every idol of my heart. I invite you because you're a safe God. I invite you to look deep within my heart. I know that you'll find things that need to be gone. But Lord, search my heart. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties my fears, my weaknesses, the idols of my heart. And go further, verse 24, and see if there is any wicked way in me. I don't want anything remaining in me that is rebellion or wickedness in the eyes of God. Reveal it to me, Lord. What a trusting prayer. A trust 
in the goodness and the mercy of the God who knows absolutely everything about us and loves us in his Son. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, his way leads to everlasting life. The God who knows us, the God who knows our every step, our every thought, our every word, the God who is ever-present, the God who is with us even in times of darkness, the God who shaped us in our mother's womb, this God cares deeply for you. Never fear to open up your heart and cry out to him. Be encouraged. The psalmist writes this to encourage you. And do not fear to come to this God. And if you ever doubt for a moment the greatness of his love, let me take you back 2,000 years to the cross of Calvary and there you will see how precious you are to him because he gave his son, the son of God, to come into this world and to die upon the cross for our sins. Knowing everything about us, knowing that we were ungodly, knowing that every thought every idolatry of heart, every careless and sinful act, knowing all of this, yet yet God the Father places righteous judgment not on us, but on the one who willingly took our place. Look to Calvary and remember his love. And so I close asking you, do you know this one who loves you so incredibly? I hope you can say, I do. And if you can, will you trust him and say, search me, O God, and try me and lead me in the way everlasting. Shall we pray together? Our Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that you are the God who cares for us. And I must confess before you, Lord, that there are times where when I look at myself, I wonder how you could love me But you do. You're the God who knows me far better than myself. You remember my frame. You remember that I'm dust. You know my weakness, my anxieties, my fears, my doubts, my struggles. Nothing surprises you, and yet you are the God who shaped me in my mother's womb. You are the God who made me and who loves me and cares for me and one day will bring us to glory. And thank you that we can open up our hearts before you and cry out to you and say, search me. Remove that idolatry. Remove that wickedness and lead me in the paths everlasting. Lord, would you encourage the hearts of any who are here struggling with life Might they look to you and find comfort and strength. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.